Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7. We'll read together there in just a moment as we go through this book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians, chapter 7. I want to talk this morning on making room in your heart. The biggest heart in all the world is uh, blue whale. You're not surprised by that, maybe, if you know how big blue whales are. Uh, something like 400 pounds. I've never weighed it personally, but I'm just, I'm told that's how big that um, heart of a blue whale is. But the human heart, which is much smaller physically, can get larger. And I don't mean just physically. If it gets larger physically, there can be some problems. But the more you love, the more you open your heart to love, the more you experience love, genuine love, the more your heart can grow, the more you can love others. The more you love others, the more you can love others. And I want you to see from God's Word in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 what the Bible says about making room in your heart. So let's read beginning with verse 2. The Bible says, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I have already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with encouragement. I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance for you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. I love how this passage, how it opens, make room for us in your hearts. Well, let's note um, a, a basic principle together. We are connected in fellowship by genuine heartfelt love. We're connected in fellowship by genuine heartfelt love. It's one of the reasons we are in a church, why God puts us in a church. God made the church for a reason. We are made for fellowship and we connect in fellowship. There's a value in that. And in a generation that is, that is rapidly losing sight of the value of it, I want you to see that God made the church for a reason, that we need fellowship and he made us for fellowship. I want you to note that genuine heartfelt love is the result of that fellowship, the hallmark of that fellowship. It's one of the reasons why we emphasize as a church small groups. We believe fellowship matters so much that we need that connection, that personal connection. We need to get connected together. We need to know each other. We need to know our problems, our needs, our victories, our defeats. And so we gather in our small groups or other small group, in our life groups or other small groups, in order to connect well and to recognize this principle that we are made for fellowship. And I know saying that, some of you you, you hear me say that and you say, well, he's talking about someone else because I'm not, like, I don't need fellowship. And if that was true, and it's not, but if it were true that you didn't need fellowship, it's not true. But if it was true, you, you see what I'm saying here? It isn't true. But if it was true that you didn't need fellowship, hypothetically speaking, you would still need to give fellowship. And of course, the truth is, 
God made you to need fellowship for yourself and to give fellowship to others. And God puts you in this world not just so you can receive, but also so you can give. Not just so you can get, but so you can give. And so I want you to see what genuine love is about, all about and how God wants to expand your heart. He wants to make room in your heart. He wants it to grow, wants your heart to grow. And let's note three principles together. Would you write these three principles together as we work our way through this text? Keep your Bible open, if you would, as we look together at these verses. Number one, would you write, make room in your heart to show concern. One of the ways we make room in our heart, one of the reasons why we make room in our heart is to show concern. And let's go to verse 2 and kind of note what the Bible says here. I'm going to note three things about how we show concern. First, we show concern by thinking of others. Verse 2 says, make room for us in your hearts. So the Bible is saying here, there's room. You might think your heart is filled, but it's not. The more you love, the more room there is in your heart for love. Make room for us in your heart, Paul's saying to the church of Corinth. Remember, Paul cares about this church. He's speaking to the church, and he's asking them to respond to his love by making room in their hearts for more love. And he says this about, about the church and his relationship to them. He says, we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. He's saying, we've thought about you. We haven't made it about us. We haven't taken advantage of you. We haven't lived life for ourselves. Our relationship is not just about us. We're thinking of you and not just ourselves. Some of you know my wife and I have, a, have bird feeders right outside our window in our dining room, and we see birds all the time. We call ourselves birders. We're not bird people. We're birders. Come on, there's a difference in the concept. We're birders. And we have, and uh, the, in the bird seat, now this time of year, some of the birds have already gone south or wherever they go for the winter, some far away. But some of the birds stay all winter long. And we've noticed that some birds are more passive and some are more aggressive. And there are these uh, little black-capped chickadees that have, I just noticed they're just, I don't know if it's just the nature of all of the black-capped chickadees necessarily, but these particular ones are pretty aggressive. They'll even, sometimes when they get hungry enough, I guess, they'll run off cardinals who are a pretty aggressive bird themselves. And they'll run off these bigger birds because, as you know, Black-capped chickadees, I'm sure you know this, are very small birds. You already knew all of this, of course. Small birds, but they can be very aggressive. So it's easy for them to think about themselves. But they're not thinking about the cardinals or the other birds, right? They're not, that's not, that doesn't come easily or naturally to them. And I'm saying for many of us, it's easy for us to think of ourselves. We know what we want. We think of ourselves easily and naturally. But it is a supernatural experience for us to begin to think beyond ourselves and to think of others. And Paul's saying here, I'm thinking about you, Church of Corinth. I'm making my ministry about you, not just about me, not just what's in it for me. Many people even see about, about church life. They make it about themselves, what's in it for me. And it's a sad way to think about what God wants. He wants something so much greater for you. And Paul's saying, I'm thinking of others. Another way we show concern is to do life together. We use that phrase sometimes in a connection with our life group. Uh, life groups do life together. And verse 3 kind of describes this. Paul says in verse 3, I don't say this to condemn you. He's saying my goal is not to shame you or just to point out your wrongs. Though he does point out the wrongs, he's, he's got a greater purpose. Not just to condemn you, he's saying. There's a greater purpose in why Paul is telling them the truth. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. I don't say this to condemn you since I've already said that you are in our hearts. Paul's saying I'm not asking you to make room for us without me already having done that for you. 
I'm asking you to reciprocate love. That's the best kind of love, by the way, love that is reciprocated. When someone loves you, someone that you love loves in response. Paul's saying, that's what I want in our relationship. I want to love you, and I want you to love back. I want us to love together. God loves us, and he wants us to love him. We, he loves us, and we're to love him as he loves us. And he said, I don't say this to condemn you, since I've already said that you are in our hearts. Now note this, to die together and to live together. Now you talk about doing life together, to die together and to live together. Paul's saying, we're, man, we're in this together. And we need each other. And if that means we die together or live together, we're going together. And in an, in an age where Christians need each other as never before in our culture, as never before, we are more separated, more divided over the smallest things. Now, we need discernment. I get that. But we have a tendency to, to divide over everything at a time when we need each other more than ever. And Paul's saying, man, I, we're going to live together and we're going to die together if necessary. If it means sacrifice, we sacrifice together. If God gives us life, we live together. Some of you have seen maybe a little of this, what I'm talking about in some connection in life. Maybe soldiers have an advantage. They, that camaraderie of knowing they could die together causes them to live together. Or athletes can sometimes have that where there's that really close connection. You win together and lose together and blood, sweat, and tears that come with sports, and you, there can be a connection. Family can be that, where you connect together through the good and the bad and the ugly of family life, but no one should experience that more than believers. The unity that we can have in Christ, the common mission, the common response to what God has done for us, our deep recognition of God's love for us, that should connect us to live together and die together as nothing else can. Paul's saying we show concern by thinking of others, by doing life together, and by encouraging each other. And let's go to verse 4. Paul said, I'm very frank with you. And I mean, he's just saying, I'm going to tell you the truth. He's doing it in the context of love. Some people just are frank, you know, without love. I mean, they just say what they think, and it can almost, without love, it can, it can be rude even. And he's saying, no, I love you. Um, you're in my heart, he's already said. But I'm frank with you. I'm just going to tell you the truth because you need it. We'll talk about why he does that in a little bit. I'm very frank with you. I have great pride in you. He's saying, I'm delighted when you succeed. Paul's saying, I love it when you do well. I rejoice when I see the church doing the right things. We ought to rejoice when we see Christians doing well. When someone begins to have a quiet time, a devotional life for the first time, and really studying and reading the Bible for themselves, man, that ought to make us rejoice. When we find out they begin to really seriously pray, we ought to rejoice with that. When we see someone trust Christ as Savior, we ought to have great joy in seeing that. When someone follows in believer's baptism, this uh, last hour we saw a young man following believer's baptism, we ought to rejoice in those things. When we see people following the Lord, we of all people ought to rejoice in seeing other Christians follow the Lord. And Paul said, I have great pride in you. I love it when you do well. I'm delighted when I see you succeeding spiritually. When you share your faith with others. When you are a witness at work or at school. When you love exceptionally. This is great. He says, I, in verse 4, he says, I'm filled with encouragement. That gets through the heart of what it means to show concern. I feel it's like I, my heart is expanding just by encouragement. It's pushing the edges. I'm filled with this encouragement. 
Encouragement is powerful for us. And then he says, I'm overflowing with joy. It's running over. It's just like it's a cup being poured into and it's just flowing over the top. I'm overflowing with joy. But notice how he says this. I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In all our afflictions. He's saying, man, I live in a world that's broken and fallen and pain and all kinds of afflictions. And Paul has listed them several times in this book and we'll see that more in the future. I mean, he talked, he knows something about affliction and he said right in the middle of it, because of your concern for me and my concern for you, when we're facing these afflictions, there's still joy. In fact, there's so much, it just overflows. We show concern by thinking of others and doing life together, encouraging each other. Do you have someone like that in your life? I mentioned earlier that we connect not just for us, but also for others. So do you have someone like that who connects with you? Or may I say even more importantly, do you, do you, are you that for someone else? Do you show that kind of concern for others? Sometimes a close friend or a family member may be that in your life. My, my grand, I was, last week I mentioned my grandparents, uh, my maternal grandparents' last name was Miller. So Grandma Miller, lived on the, she and Grandpa lived on the farm, and they milked cows, and I mentioned that they ran the milk through a separator, separator and it separated the cream from the milk. And on my, um, my grandfather died when I was a boy, and my grandmother lived for years as a widow beyond that. And, and Grandma was for me, for this in my life. She was a great encourager. She showed concern for me. I mean, I think that's one of the jobs of grandmas. They, if, unless they're raising their kids, and some of the, sometimes that happens, they raise their grandchildren. Some of you may be doing that, but, but if not, it's a little easier. We don't have to discipline in the same way, or you know, we can do the fun and the joy without the difficult work in some ways. And my grandma, my grandma Miller, was that for me. She outlived all the other grandparents by a number of years in my life, and so she always cared about me and loved me and um, thought of me and talked to me, wanted to know what was going on in my life. She was delighted when I was called to ministry. She uh, just, through the years, just a great supporter and encourager. Now, it wasn't always that for her, I'll just tell you. I didn't think of her in the same way. I was more on the receiving end than the giving end of this, but how thankful I, I was for someone in my life who cared about me. Now, can I tell you, God in heaven made you. You need someone like that in your life. It's one of the reasons God made the church, one of the reasons we emphasize the small group, why friendships matter, Christian friendships matter. We need that fellowship. But you also need to be that for someone as well. And I suspect that God has put someone in this world for you to be that in their life. Now, you don't have to be the grandmother necessarily to do that, right? You can love them, show concern. You can think of them and not yourself. You can do life with them, do life together. You can encourage them, and there is a power to this. And so we make room in our hearts to show concern. There's a second principle I'd like you to know. Make room in your heart to share comfort. Let's talk about this, what the Bible says here about sharing comfort in verse 5. We follow along as we work our way through three things I want to mention about verses 5, 6, and 7. First note that trouble needs comfort. So verse 5 says, in fact, Paul says, in fact, He's going to give an example here. When we came into Macedonia, he had been in Asia, and now he comes into Macedonia, these two regions. We had no rest. We had, he thought it would be better when he got to Macedonia, but it wasn't. It was hard. It took work. Ministry often takes work. It often takes effort. You want to be faithful to God. That's not always the easy way. 
Sometimes God's way is hard. Sometimes ministry, the ministry that God calls you to do takes work. And that was certainly the case for Paul. And he said this in verse 5. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Some of you feel like Paul's talking to you here, don't you? Because you're saying, that's, that's me, troubled in every way. All kinds of problems and difficulties. This is a world of trouble. This is a broken, fallen world. And he said, I felt trouble in every way. And when I came, even when I came into Macedonia, he said, there are conflicts on the outside and fears within. So on the outside, there's fights and problems and difficulties. He wasn't surprised by that, perhaps, because this is a broken world. And because it's a broken world, broken things happen. The brokenness of this world meant he faced conflicts. Not everyone wanted to hear the message of the gospel. Not everyone responded well to the truth. People didn't always do what they should have done. The church didn't always act like it ought to act. He faced all kinds of conflicts from without. He had problems from the government officials. He had problems from the church. He had problems from the uh, people who lived around him. He had problems from, I mean, just conflicts without. And he said it didn't stop there. There were fears within. Because it wasn't just the broken world on the outside, but the broken life on the inside. Outside of Christ, we're broken, and even Christ is doing the healing work in our life. But still within, there are these conflicts and fears within. And some of you know that full well. Worry and anxiety and doubt and fear so easily on the inside. Because it's not just the brokenness out there, it's the brokenness in here. And you bring all that brokenness from your past, all the pain, all the problems, all the difficulties, all the shortcomings, the, one the ones that were caused by someone else, the, one that you, the ones that you caused yourself, and you bring all of that. And so the danger is we have all the conflicts on the outside, and then we have the conflicts on the inside. And Paul said, man, I mean, there, were trouble, there was trouble in every way. And there was fighting on the outside, and there was fear on the inside. And some of you know that world very, very well. I mentioned that my grandma Miller's husband died. My grandfather died when I was a boy. and So she moved off the family farm and into town. She hadn't even, she hadn't even ever driven a car to that point in her life. And faced the troubles of this world, the troubles that happen in this world. My, my mother is reminding me recently about family vacations uh, with grandma right after the, the, the two summers after my grandfather passed away grandma went on vacations with us and um, man we, we were remembering the events we went to South Dakota and there were uh, got to some place with a bunch of buffalo and we were in the car but they surrounded us and grandma got scared to death and we boys thought that was the most I mean just made it so much more exciting for grandma to be so fearful of these buffaloes she was just so panicky and we just were delighted in grandma's fear and the beauty of that massive beast the many of them right outside the car windows exciting and the next year we went to silver dollar city I think it was and grandma got in line with us on what she thought was a show and it turned out to be a a small roller coaster ride and oh my goodness you talk about exciting that was an exciting moment for me and for grandma I'll just tell you that and grandma knew something about trouble I, I, I've thought back on that I didn't you know I didn't really understand all that my grandma was going through I didn't think about how could I help her I didn't think about the pain she felt I knew I grieved at my grandfather's loss I didn't really think about her grief very much 
I knew about my trouble. I didn't think about her trouble very much. But trouble needs comfort. And so this is my parents' way of saying, we're going we're gonna to try to provide some comfort to her and think about her and include her and do some things with her and scare her to death with some buffalo and some roller coasters along the way. But I want you to note as well that God brings comfort. I said trouble brings comfort. Uh, trouble needs comfort, but God brings comfort. And let's go back to verse 6. The Bible says, verse 5 says, we're troubled in every way, conflict on the outside, fear within, but God. And I love that. There's trouble everywhere, but God, Paul said. I had conflicts on the outside, but God, he said. There are fears within, but God. Who comforts the downcast, verse 6 says, right there in the, te in the text. But God who comforts the downcast, that's what God does. God brings comfort to the downcast. Some of you are here with great pain and you're downcast, and I'm thankful for a God who brings comfort. Now listen, I didn't, I didn't help, I didn't comfort grandma very much. I didn't understand I was too immature to think about her pain. I was too immature to think about her perspective. But she knew God. And there was a but God in her life who comforted her. One of my earliest childhood memories is of my grandmother reading the Bible. She would read the Bible over and over. Later when I was called to ministry, I was in seminary and I came back and my grandma was talking with me about the Bible. She wanted to learn more and I knew things about the Bible. My grandmother didn't because of seminary classes, but she knew the Bible in a way I didn't because she knew it so well. She had read it so many times and I said, I want to know the Bible like that. And that same God that she had turned to over and over brought her comfort. And yes, she had trouble in every way, but God. And yes, there are conflicts on the outside, but God. And yes, there were fears within, but God who comforts the downcast. Notice that trouble needs comfort and God brings, God brings comfort. And, and then notice as well that God comforts through others. And very often the way God comforts the downcast is to bring others into our lives that he uses. Verse 6 says, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the arrival of Titus and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. So Paul is saying, the way God comforted me was to bring Titus. I had sent Titus to the church. Paul had told the church hard things and had pointed out their failures and the weaknesses and he was concerned about how they would respond to that. And so he sent Titus. And finally, Titus came back. And Titus encouraged Paul. And he encouraged Paul because the church at Corinth had encouraged Titus. And because of that, Paul could in, in turn encourage the church at Corinth. And God uses others in our lives often to bring comfort. The Bible says about Titus, he told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. And Paul is saying, God comforted me, but God, who comforts the downcast, he comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And that's why we emphasize small groups. And that's why you need others in your life, not just for you, but so that, that family, that person who's going through the difficult moments of life, who is troubled in every way, who has conflicts on the outside and fears within, they know you. They, go, they turn to the people they know and you know them you're involved and you can connect and there's a power that i've seen it so many times in our church that's why we need christian friends so we you have plenty of friends who will point you the wrong way 
who will rejoice when you slide from God, who will encourage, your, encourage you towards spiritual apathy or worse. But you need some godly friends who will call you to follow the Lord, who will encourage you in faith, who will rejoice when you do the right things and grieve when you go the wrong directions. You need some people like that in your life. In your life, And I, 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 hope you'll, I hope you'll be that for someone else. I love to read biographies. Many of you know I've always enjoyed biographies and I've read lots of biographies on Christian leaders or missionaries. And man, they do great things. If they write a biography about them, often it's because they did some great things. They um, went to a hard place and saw people come to Christ or they did some great work. They lived by faith and God blessed in some way. But almost always in those books, there's some point at which there is this difficulty, this um, trouble in every way. And they have some conflict on the outside and some fear within. But there's always this moment, the but God moment. When God, who comforts the downcasts, sends someone, usually it's someone, usually there's some person involved, some friends, some family members, some co-ministers, some caring person, some new convert who steps in and God uses them to encourage him. Perhaps God in heaven, did you think maybe God in heaven made you for something more than you and saved you if you're saved for something more and God wants you to be that for someone else? And maybe God would use you as a means by which comfort will be shared and God asks you to make room in your heart remember how the Grinch had that little teeny little heart it's just so small God wants to expand it and you expand it when you show concern and you expand it when you share comfort and may I just say to you as well if you're going through a hard time one of the works God wants to do in you is to bring comfort to you so that you can comfort others in their time of need by the same comfort you receive from the Holy Spirit and God wants to comfort others through you. Consider the possibility that God wants to enlarge your heart so that you love people who are going through those same problems that God has brought comfort to you in. There's a third principle. Would you note this? Make room in your heart to seek correction. To seek correction. Go with me to verses 8 and 9. Let's work our way through these verses. The Bible says, Paul says, even if I grieved you with my letter. So Paul sent a letter that was direct that was very frank, plain-spoken, told them the truth. And it says, even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. Now he's speaking in present tense. I don't currently regret it. He knows what's going to come out of this. And if I regretted it, that's past tense. There may have been times in the past when Paul said, I kind of regret that I had to do this. I hate that I had to cause this pain. And he said, I regretted it since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while. For a time, you faced great pain. Because I said to you things you needed to hear, but you didn't want to hear. I told you the hard truth that you didn't like. I knew you wouldn't like it. I knew it would cause pain. But I did it, and I don't regret it now. Because in verse 9 he says, I now rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. It led somewhere. So there's great joy because the grief that I brought to you, the grief that I came to you because I told you the truth, led somewhere, and it led to repentance, and you were grieved as God willed. God wanted you to grieve. God brings conviction to us, though we don't like it. God brings it so that 
you didn't experience any loss from us. God wanted the gain. He wanted you to have gain and not loss. So we might say it like this. God's love and truth has a purpose. There's a purpose. We seek correction for a purpose. So think of it like this. Love leads to truth. We tell the truth because of love. And that can lead to grief and to pain and to heartache and to conviction. But it has a purpose as well. It leads to repentance where we turn from wrong. And that leads to God. So love leads us to truth, which leads us to grief, which leads us to repentance, which leads us to God who forgives and who loves. So love and truth have a purpose. And by the way, can I remind you, love and truth go together. It's not love without truth. It's not that Paul said, you know, listen, I love you, and so I'm not going to say any hard things to you. I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm just going to tell you what everyone else says. I'm going to tell you what you already think. Is that it? No, that's not it at all. It's not love without truth. If it doesn't tell the truth, there's a question about how genuine the love is. And can I point out it's not truth without love. It's not like Paul just said, let me just be brutal with you. I don't care about you. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't care about your pain. No, he had them in their heart. And he told the truth because of his love. But I tell you, there was grief involved with it. Past tense grief. Because he knew there'd be some pain. But it led ultimately to rejoicing. He knew it was going to lead somewhere. And so love and truth go together. It'd be good for you to get this in your heart and mind. That the two go together. They're not opposites. They're deeply connected. And love and truth lead somewhere. Where do they lead? Often, that leads to grief. Conviction. Pain. There's a reason for that grief. And that's to lead us to repentance. So grief and repentance go together like this. We're convicted by God so that we will turn back to God. It's sort of like open-heart surgery. Sometimes the heart is in such bad condition that they have to open the chest and do surgery directly on the heart itself. And grief is this open-heart surgery. God just lays bare our heart. And he points out the truth to us out of his love and out of his truth. He points out where we're wrong. He brings to us conviction. He points out our need. He shows us shortcomings. He tells us the standard and the truth. And that can be painful and lead us to grief. But grief and conviction has a purpose. It's leading us to repentance, to turn from ourselves, to change our ways. If God is convicting you of something wrong in your life, he's doing that for a purpose. If you're being convicted of your need for God, it's for a purpose. So love and truth lead us to grief, which can lead us to repentance, and repentance leads us to God who forgives and who cleanses and who loves. And that's what your soul is longing for. Repentance leads us to restoration, to rejuvenation of our souls and our heart, to, a, to an enlarging of our hearts so that we begin to love as God loves and to live as God calls us to live. Truth always has a purpose. God in heaven ask you to make room to stretch your heart by being corrected by him. It may be that there's something in your life that you know God is grieved by and he brings grief to you. I think our response sometimes is to run from God when he points out the truth. We just run from him. 
or we ignore him, or we try to sort of change the subject, or we try to argue with God. But the better response is to say, God, I, I, you love me, and you love me enough to tell me the truth. And that leads to conviction in my life, and that conviction has a purpose. And so I want to find the purpose of that and repent and t- turn back to you. And out of that, to find that you who love me have been waiting for me to repent so that there could be restoration and renewal in my life again. And God in heaven offers that to you. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I want to ask you to make some room in your heart. Some of you know that God, out of his love and his truth, has brought to you some grief, some conviction. Maybe he's pointing out that you're lost and you need to be saved. That religion alone isn't enough. That trying good to be good will never be enough. That you can never self-improve to perfection and to holiness and to God. And that you need Christ. He's asking you to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you. Would you trust him as Savior today? Right where you are, give your life to Christ. And Christian, perhaps God is bringing some conviction to you because he's calling you to turn from whatever it is that is a lesser thing that you've sought instead of him so that you find what your soul is longing for, for him to come back to God himself for renewal and reconnection. And I want to ask you to say yes to him. Some of you are here who are troubled in every way, like Paul. You have conflicts on the outside and you have fear within. But God, he's forgotten about you. He's not forgotten about you. He's not given up on you. He's not stopped loving you. And he is the one who comforts the downcast. I suspect there are many of you here. God in heaven wants to use you to be a comfort to others. He wants you to enlarge your heart to begin to love people like he loves them. Instead of, be, instead of to be focused on yourself, to begin to show concern for others and to share comfort, the comfort that you find in Christ with others and to seek correction, to be exactly where God wants you to be and to be the person God wants you to, to be and to do what he wants you to do and live like he wants you to live. And I want to ask you today to say yes to him. Father, I thank you for your word. I want to thank you. Long ago, Paul asked the church at Corinth to make room in their heart for him that he loved them deeply from his heart and he wanted them to love them, him in response. And Father, we know you've loved us deeply from your heart and you ask us to love you from our heart and to love others as you've loved us. And so I pray you'll do a work in us, help our fellowship to be rich and genuine and heartfelt. To have the love of the Lord overflowing in our lives to know genuine fellowship with you and with others. Grow our heart, deepen our love, renew our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.